Jeremiah is still here telling them, we're not getting out of this one. And he didn't just tell the whole city that. He told the king specifically saying, you're not getting out of this. And I think that's a really important thing because all of us are going to be put in situations where we struggle with our faith, whether it's at home, whether it's sharing our faith with our lost family and friends, whether it's having integrity at work. But yet we see here that the specific reason for Jeremiah being in prison is because he continued to say what God wanted him to say. And I want to show you here in verse 4 why it really gets specific. And shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him. Says the Lord, though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Now, the wording here is very important. Um, I believe that some of the biggest problems we have in our culture today is because people can hide behind their computers and say whatever they want with no consequences. When I was in high school, you could be mouthy. But being mouthy could also cost you some teeth. It's just the way it was. Uh, because why? If you made someone mad enough, they would come up to you eye to eye, face to face, and say, what are you saying about me? And what he's saying here is, not only are you not going to avoid judgment, you are going to be face to face with it. There is no way out of this. He's going to take you into captivity. He is going to put you into bondage, all of these things. And so it's important to know that because many times we think that we can get away with our sin. We can get away with our rebellion. And what we see here is if Zedekiah could not get away with his rebellion to an earthly king, we will not be able to get away from our rebellion to a heavenly king. And so he is just specifically telling them what's going to happen. And so tonight I really want you to think about that in your walk with the Lord, that doing what God has called you to do sometimes might leave you in situations that are not ideal. But remember that even the people who think they're winning, which would be the king, Zedekiah, who would consider himself in charge, are going to have to answer for what they've done. And so that's very important. And so the Bible talks about that there will be a day when all hidden things will be revealed, that we will give an account for the deeds that we have done in our body. If you were here Sunday, we looked at how the Lord knows the heart. The Bible says we'll give an account for every idle word that is spoken. Now, that's a heavy weight when you think about that. But I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful that when He died, He died to cover how many of my sins? All of them. And the Bible says that He is faithful and just to forgive us for all of our unrighteousness. And so I really want you to think about that tonight because for us as believers, our sins have been covered. But for a lost and dying world, there is no one who is going to be able to avoid any of it. They are going to have to answer for all of it. And then I want to show you here that the Lord uses the strangest of situations to teach us. 
Here in verse 6, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to visit you, saying, By my field, which is Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy. Now this might not seem strange to you, but this piece of property is outside of Jerusalem. It is in an area that's already been conquered by the Babylonians. It would have kind of been back... Does anybody know what year they um, flooded and created Wren Lake? Come on now, some of you... Anybody? 70 or 71. It would be like someone coming to you right before they did that and say, I have a prime piece of real estate. It's right in the middle of Wren Lake. That's going, would you like to buy that for me? And you saying, well, no. I don't want to buy real estate that's underwater. It's kind of like if someone brought to you that had fled from Iran and owned a house in Iran and said, I don't live there. There's a whole new uh, government there, but I'd love to sell you the deed to my house that's been conquered and taken by the government. You'd say, well, no. But yet that's what the Lord tells Jeremiah is going to happen. Your family member is going to come and try to sell you property that is outside of Jerusalem, so he can't get out of Jerusalem. It's been taken by an enemy army, and you're going to buy it. Now, I don't know if you know that or not, but that's probably one of those moments that you go, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, right? I buy high and sell low on a regular basis. But even I understand that this doesn't make sense. But listen to what it says. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy. That's what he tells him is going to happen. And listen to verse 8. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field, that is, Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours, buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So not only was it under enemy control, outside of the besieged city, what does a person in prison need real estate for? I mean, this makes no sense. From a worldly standpoint, it absolutely just doesn't. But listen to how Jeremiah obeyed the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel. You're thinking, Jeremiah wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed either. The son of my uncle who was in Anathoth and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and customs, that which was open. And so you've got to be thinking, if you're Jeremiah, this sounds a little funny, right? I'm going to buy a piece of property and it's not going to be mine. This needs to be done legally. It needs to be done the right way. And so Jeremiah goes and does everything according to the nature of the law, 
I don't know how that was possible to endure to his situation, but apparently it was. And so in verse 12, And I gave the purchase deed to Barak the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. They're doing business in prison. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed which is sealed and this deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that, the Lord, that, the, that they may last many days. And here it is. Don't miss this in verse 15. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. It's kind of like people in the time of drought, right? If you're going to pray for rain, you need to carry what with you? An umbrella. Jeremiah says put it in a vessel. Most likely this would have been a vessel very similar, but not exactly like they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in. Why they have lasted, would have lasted... And what Jeremiah is saying is, it doesn't make earthly sense to buy this property. It's not worth anything now. But God promised me that there would be a day when the Jewish people would come back to this land and that deed would be worth something. You see, God took Jeremiah through the ringer so he could use it as an opportunity to tell people that God's promise to the nation of Israel is still valid. He proved that He's still God. And friends, tonight when God allows you to go through the situations of life that do not make sense, God is doing that so a lost and dying world can see that God's promises are still faithful. It's kind of like this. <laughs> I told you last week, my two least favorite Sundays are what? If you remember... Memorial Day and the 4th of July. Not because I think they're bad days. I think we ought to celebrate both of them. The problem is everybody seems to think that because we celebrate those two holidays that there's something they should do other than church. But what I can tell you is those two Sundays might always be almost the lowest attendance of the year. But do you know what happens to the offerings on those two days? I'll give you a guess. Anybody guess? They go up. They go up. And this is why. And you can take it for what it's worth. You can be mad, not mad. I don't care. Because people who love and are committed to their church are going to give and support and be there no matter if the times are good or bad. You see, when you love something and you believe in something, you put your money where your mouth is. Now, I'm not saying if you vacation this week, you're not loving your church. I'm just saying it is an example. And so for me, I believe that the Bible, not the opinions of Jacob Gray, changes life. And so when I preach, <laughs> I preach what? Verse by verse by verse. And I've had people tell me, Jay... You can't preach that way. It's not any good. It's not creative. It's not, it's not fun. But I believe it's what God wants. Because why? The Bible says that the Word of God will not what? Return void. 
that it's as sharp as a what? Two-edged sword. It doesn't say the opinions of Jacob Gray. It doesn't say the creativity of Jacob Gray. It doesn't say the humor of Jacob Gray, which I think I'm all of those, but that's, not, that's a joke. But that's not what does it. It's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in your heart and your life. And so if I'm going to tell you that I believe this is what God uses through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I never open my Bible to preach, I have what? I've said one thing and done another. It's kind of like if you believe that tonight but never open it at home. You see, Jeremiah buys this people a property because God tells him to because then God gives him the message that the property is worthless today, but you don't know what I have planned in the future. And sometimes we do this about people, right? Oh, they're never going to amount to nothing. You've probably said that about people. Some of who knew me in high school probably said that about me. But God can work in the most broken of situations, the most broken of people. You've probably said something like this from time to time. Well, that person came from a terrible home situation, but look at what God has done through them. Or maybe it's been the exact opposite, right? Well, they had the best parents. They had the, everything they wanted, but yet they ended up a mess. You see, just like Jeremiah says here in verse 15, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now, if you have a heading in your Bible, it probably says something like this. Jeremiah prays for understanding. Now, I hope that you know that that was not in the original text, okay? Those were added by, by scholars and different people to help you, but that is not inspired Scripture, those four words. But it makes sense. Listen here in verse 16. Now when I had delivered the purchase of deed to Barak the son of Nerah, I prayed to the Lord saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Stop there for a moment. That's why I believe in the six literal days of creation, like the book of Genesis says. That is why I, who am not a scientist, believe that the earth is thousands of years old, not millions of years. Because why? God created it, the Bible reaffirms it, and the book of Genesis clearly teaches it was six literal days. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. There. Therefore, there is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day, and Israel and among other men, and you have made yourself a name as it is this day. So he's just praising who God is, reaffirming what God has done. And you can read through here. These are some wonderful verses about God's loving kindness, um, that God judges sin, that He has done all these things. But listen here as we go on. 
In verse 21, You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. You have given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and took possession of it, but... Right, it's talking about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the power of God, the blessing of God. But they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Look, the siege mounds, they have come to the city to take it. And the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and the famine and pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. There you see it. And you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field of money and take witnesses. Yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Jeremiah spends this whole section of Scripture talking about who God is, reaffirming who God is, making it clear that God knows everything. But then at the very end he says, and even though that's who you are, God, and we see that judgment's coming, but why did you make me buy the property? You see, Jeremiah is asking this question. Now, some scholars believe that Jeremiah is just reaffirming God here. Other scholars believe that Jeremiah is questioning God here. And you're welcome to believe either one of those that you want. It's not a big deal in my opinion either way. But Jeremiah, if he is like you and I, he's saying, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. And uh, I think that's a fair question. Absolutely. But I think that's how all of us are, right? I think that we do take those steps of faith, but I think there are still some times when we ask God, are you sure? I mean, I, I do, I, I'm willing to do this, Lord, and I will do it, but I, I just don't understand. I find myself saying that a lot. And uh, God just has to remind me, Jake, I'm in control. Um, Jake, I don't need you. <laughs> I could do without you. But I, I want you to hear this tonight just because I think sometime of, sometimes... We as believers do two things. We cover up our doubt with, well, I've never doubted God, right? I would never question God. I've heard that so many times from people, and I, it's just not true. Because three weeks later, they'll be like, I just don't understand why my loved one, why this happened. And so I think that's one way that we respond is pride. And the second way is guilt, I just know I shouldn't doubt. I know I shouldn't doubt, but I, I'm just overwhelmed with doubt. I, I must not have any faith at all. I must not have anything in me that, from God. And so there's two extremes. This, this issue of that none of us has ever had a question, and there is the people who feel like they have no faith at all, and they have no ability to love God and serve God. They're just, God's just dragging them along to heaven. But I think there's a middle ground where we live by faith, not by sight. We step out in obedience when God calls us to. But there will come times in our faith that things shake us, not destroy us, 
How many times have you read the verse, train up a child in the way that they should go? When they are old, they shall not. Have you ever raised a, a kid and wondered if that's going to actually happen? Yeah, now, I believe just because you take your kids to church, just because you get them baptized, doesn't mean that they've really embraced the faith, okay? I believe that once God truly saves someone, He keeps you saved, but I believe many people think they're saved and they are not, okay? But what we see here is, is this situation. And so maybe you've, you've trusted God and you've, you've, you've taken a step of faith and you've, you've followed Him on obedience and the results aren't there. <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not, but as a pastor, when I pray for weeks about a sermon, prepare and study and deliver it, it blesses my soul when no one responds. No one, right? And I know that results don't happen by how many people walk the aisle, things like that. But it's like, that's just wonderful. And I've asked myself, Lord, I, that just was, I think that was the worst sermon I've ever preached. I, I stuttered, I stumbled, I, I don't think I said things right. I, I mispronounced a word 17 times, you know. And, uh, and that's how we are in, in the flesh. And in those moments, usually what happens is someone will be like, well, that's probably the most impactful sermon that I've God ever used in my life. And I'm like, were you watching Charles Stanley on television again? Were you watching it on your phone? Did you have Adrian Rogers pulled up on Love Worth Finding? Is that what, you know? Because why? God works in situations and in situations that we don't think, we don't understand, that we think we fail. I have yet to meet a Sunday school teacher that says, I just know I'm the best Sunday school teacher in town. What I can tell you is most of our Sunday school teachers will say is this, well, if you can ever find anybody better than me, right? And I don't think I do a very good job. Or, you know, that's what I hear. And that's okay. I'm glad that there's some humility there. But friends, sometimes it's real doubt that we cover up in sarcasm. It's going to get uncomfortable tonight just like it did Sunday. Don't worry. I can handle it. There's, there's cake back there to make it all better. And so what we see here in verse 26 is then God answers, right? And so like he says, just, Dave just said there. So look what it says here in verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who fight against this city shall come and set fire to this city and burn it with the houses on whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel had provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city has been to me a provo <laughs> provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it, even to this day. So I will remove it from before my face because of the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger. They, their kings, their priests, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they have turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them. 
rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. And I want you to catch this part right here. But they set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to defile it, and they built the high places of Baal, and they are in the valley of the son of Hinnom to cause their sons and daughters to pass through the fire to Melech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, I think this is where we struggle in the Scriptures. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign, that God is in control of all things. But God teaches here that the reason this judgment is coming is because of their sin and their wickedness. Now, God has a purpose and a plan in all of it, but I want you to hear one specific thing that it says here and then another. The first is they turn the house of God into a place of idolatry. That's very important to God. That's why in the New Testament, I believe it is so important for us to remember that we are the temple of God. And so the Holy Spirit will clean house. But second, I want to show you here about passing through the fire. And if you're familiar with the pagan worship that he is talking about here, it is talking about child sacrifice. Now, we don't know, due to archaeological evidence, we've not, they've not been able to find any or very little of child sacrifices. I believe they happened because the Bible said so. But I'm not sure they happened on such a huge scale that there is archaeological evidence to find it. So let's just say if 5% of Israel did this. God says, I am wiping this city off the face of the earth. I want you to think about how serious that is to God. But yet, and some of you know where this is going, they did not yank a child out of its mother's womb. They did not make a profit off of murdering children in the womb. They didn't take babies' body parts and sell them for science. Do you see where I'm going with this? If God destroyed Jerusalem for the wickedness of child murder, who do we think that we are that God will not destroy this country for abortion? And so when Christians speak to abortion being the single most important issue in every single election, it is because it is the single most important issue outside, I believe, of supporting Israel in the Bible. And so when a Christian says, I am pro-life, I vote pro-life, that is the only thing first and foremost at the top of the ticket, that is why. Because God destroys a nation that destroys its children. Now you might not like that opinion, you might not agree with that opinion, and I do not care. That's what God says. And so you say, Jake, what about economics? God can make economics work in the worst of situations. You say, Jake, what about national defense? God can fight our battles for us. You say, Jake, what about, what about if the president says mean things? I'd take mean tweets and the sanctity of human life any day. Now, I'm just telling you, this is what it says. He says, the reason that I am judging you is because you have turned my house into a place of defilement and you have murdered the children in sacrifice. And so we see that here. And so, as long as I am here, this will, church will do everything it can to stand for the sanctity of human 
life from the moment of conception until natural death. Right here. If God is going to judge them, He will judge us. Billy Graham once said, if God does not judge America for what it has done through abortion, then Sodom and Gomorrah almost deserve an apology. Now, they're almost as important there because God's not going to apologize to anyone. But it's the idea of that. And so I want you to read through these, and I want you to think about this because God is laying out the case of why this is happening and why it is so se severe. Now, if Jeremiah is listening to this, he's probably saying, this doesn't answer my question. And if you've ever talked to your children before, you've probably done that, right? Why can't I go stay at someone's house? Well, we have three ball games tomorrow. We have to go to a birthday party. You have to clean your room. You have to take out the trash. Answer the question. Can I go or not? It's like I'm explaining to you why you can't. And what God is explaining to Jeremiah here is why he is answering in just a moment. Okay? And we're going to stop here in just a moment, but I want to, to read this tonight because I think it's really, really important. Now, my last statement about mean tweets and the sanctity of human life is not an endorsement of a candidate or a person or that he is perfect. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. Just saying what I said. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in my great wrath. I will bring them back to this place. I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do good. And I will assuredly plant them in the land with all my heart and with all my soul. If you underline in your Bible, I would underline or make notes of with all my heart and with all my soul. It goes on to verse 42. For thus says the Lord, Just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them and the fields will be bought in the land of which you say it is desolate without man or beast. It has been given to the hand of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign deeds, and seal them, and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judea, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, and in the cities of the south, for I will cause their captives to return, says the Lord. God says, just like I promised to bring judgment and now you're seeing it, I am promising the exact opposite in restoration and blessings. And if I can promise the correction and discipline, I can promise the blessings and the good things. And He says, that's why 
I had you buy it because it's a sign that one of these days that deed is going to be worth something. Friends, that's why we believe that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, right? When He purchased our forgiveness on the cross and the Spirit of God indwells us, it is a permanent thing. When your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, it is not erased. But here specifically, He's talking to the Jewish people, but we again see this new covenant. Because we know today that if you go to Israel, all of these promises are not being fulfilled, right? All of these things have not yet come to fruition. But we know under the new covenant, so there is a special place for national Israel. We've been talking about that, all right? The nation of Israel, God is going to do something unique and special with the Jewish people. But for those of us who are Gentiles, who have been grafted into the family of God, we get to be a part of these promises. And so it starts out a horrific chapter. I can't imagine what it's like to be in a city that has an enemy army surrounding it where you can't leave and buy food and and all of these things. And the fear of death is continuous. I can't imagine that. But that's where it starts. I can't imagine being in prison. I can't imagine that. But yet it goes all the way through this chapter and God says, but I'm going to work it all out. And so that's why I said that God is at work even in the most strangest of situations. Because if you were to look at the nation of Israel, well, they almost made it to church in time. But anyway, um, they're going to get here for prayer. That's the most important thing anyway. Um, yeah, that's what Dave said last week. She's probably too embarrassed to come in, so someone needs to go out there and be like, we all know you're here, come on in. But uh, uh, Dave will do it. But uh, Help him get in if you don't care. But, uh, but did you see that, the significance of that? In the midst of the valley, in the midst of the destruction, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the heartache, God still knew what His promises were to them and that He would fulfill them. And you as a Christian need to remember the promises of God in the good times and the bad and the difficult and the challenges. I, I think that my favorite promise that God gives us is that He promises to forgive us. Now, you, your, your favorite might be heaven, but I think the fact that God promising to forgive us when we ask is a remarkable thing. And I think it's so remarkable to me because forgiving is something I struggle with tremendously. I used to not struggle with it, but the older I get, the more I struggle with it. And so the fact that God forgives, and the Bible even says that it's as far as the east is from the west, as the, the ground is to the stars and to the lake of forgetfulness. And it's this idea that God forgives when we really repent. Just it, it amazes me. And I realize the more I hopefully am growing in my walk with God, how sinful I am and how much I need God's forgiveness and God's grace, and God's mercy. And the more I realize I need it, the more thankful I am for it. And so I want you to hear that tonight. Maybe you're uh, struggling in a different area of your life. Maybe it's your prodigal children. Maybe it's 
Um, the fact that you're trying to do the right thing. As, as Jesus says, right, uh, pray and bless those that persecute you, right? Don't respond when they speak evil of you. It's like, but Lord, do you know how much easier it would be to take care of this myself? Maybe you're trusting in those promises. Maybe, I, I don't know what it is for you tonight, but I think that we see here in Jeremiah that as bad as it seems to be, that God is faithful. As difficult as it seems, God is faithful. As overwhelming the odds are against us, God is faithful. And that is all proven through Calvary. Because Jesus Christ took our sin and shame. The Father poured out His wrath on us, on Jesus for us. And then He did what? He died. <laughs> he was buried and then he arose. God raised him from the dead, sealing that promise that if he is raised from the dead, then we will experience that. Because if he was the first resurrection, then we will follow accordingly. How about the promise when the angels told the disciples, he will come back in the same manner that he left. And so one of these days, when the trumpet, when the Lord says, go get my children, then he's going to what? Step out. And so there's an old song, which I know I always say that. It says, I like to look at the clouds because that next one could be the one that the Lord is coming back on again. And so you should live that way, believing that Jesus is coming back. Because why? God promised it. Why? Today I was walking through the hospital and there's a lady that's 106, I believe, and she is ending up her life. And as I was talking to one of the son-in-laws, he said, she's ready to go. He said, she's told us that she's made a decision for Jesus when she was a kid. He's been with her every step of the way and she's ready to take her last breath here and take her first breath there. And I said, I don't know what more you could ask for. She is living and believing the promises that God has made Absent from the body is God is faithful.